I noticed that Gary had songs about the resurrection, and that certainly is a part of what we want to share with you today. In Mark chapter 5, we find a beautiful illustration of the power of God and of His Son, the Lord Jesus. We find victory over demons, over diseases, and over death. When you really think about it, these are three enormous opponents, enemies. These are huge giants of difficulty. But Jesus has overcome all three, demons and the devil, disease and death. Just think how momentous, how great, how tremendous that victory is. And he offers that kind of victory to each one of us, his people. I'm thinking for a moment here in terms of Henry's sister that passed away. Henry and Audrey have to be gone next Sunday because the graveside is scheduled for next Sunday morning. So our comfort and sympathy is with you and Audrey, Henry. But in this passage, we find victory. Victory for God's people over death, over disease, over demons. Now, first of all, as we think of victory over demons, it has been suggested that Satan's greatest, his strongest strategy is to convince us he does not exist. But in this passage of scripture, we see very strongly how Satan and his demons do exist and exert power in the world. Beginning in Mark chapter 5 with verse 1, here's what we find. They came over under the other side of the sea, unto the other side, to the country of the Gadarenes. And when he was come out of the ship, immediately they met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. Turns out later he had more than one. Who had his living among the tombs in the cemetery there he lived. And no man could bind him, no, not even with chains, because that he had been often bound with fetters and chains, and the chains had been plucked asunder by him, and the fetters broken in pieces, neither could any man tame him. So we see that he had a supernatural power, power from Satan, power from the demons, to do supernatural things. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying out and cutting himself with stones. Yes, Satan exists and so does, so do his demons. But when he saw Jesus way off, he ran and worshipped him. And he yelled out with a loud voice and he said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, son of the most high God? Isn't that interesting? That he would acknowledge who Jesus is. 
And he was right. He is the son of the Most High God. I adjure you by God that you do not torment me. Because he said to him, Come out of the man, unclean spirit. And he asked him, What is your name? And he answered, saying, My name is Legion, because we are many. Now I actually understand that a Roman legion, when it was in full force, had 6,000 soldiers. Uh, how many he had, I'm not sure, but it talks about 2,000 pigs later running down into the sea. So I guess he had at least 2,000 of that legion. We are many. And he asked him a whole lot that he would not send them out into the, of, of the country. Now there were close to the mountains a great herd of swine, pigs, feeding. And all the demons besought him, saying, Send us into the pigs, so we may enter into them. They were being dispossessed out of, you see, this man, been controlled by them, cast out, they, did, they wanted another place to go. So they made a prayer that they could go into the pigs. And forthwith, Jesus gave them leave. And the unclean spirits went out and entered into the pigs. And the herd ran violently down a steep place into the sea. They were about 2,000, and they were choked in the sea. Demons, the devil has great influence in the world today. And we need to resist him, the Bible tells us. But we see in the scripture that over the devil and his cohorts, there will be ultimate and final victory. If you go with me back to 2 Peter, you find in chapter 2, verse 4, If God spared not the angels who sinned, that would be Satan and the demons, but threw them down into Hades, hell, and delivered them to chains of darkness to be reserved to judgment, that will ultimately be their end. But then it tells us about the devil specifically in Revelation 20, verse 10. And the devil who deceived them, that's what he does, he was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone. That will be his end. It was prepared for the devil, you see, and his angels. Jesus has victory over the devil and over the angels. It's marvelous, too, what it tells us in 1 John chapter 4, verse 4. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Christ, God, the Holy Spirit, is greater than Satan and all his demons. So when we trust in him, he's on our side and we're on his side. We're on the side of victory. We can acknowledge the truth of the existence of Satan and his demons. 
but we can also thank God for the promise of their ultimate destruction. Well, what happened then afterwards? Going back to Mark 5 with verse 14. And they who fed the pigs fled and told it in the city. You kind of wonder what are probably Jewish people doing feeding pigs, which are basically forbidden in the Old Testament. They told the city and in the country. They went out to see what it was that had happened. And they come to Jesus and they see him who was possessed with the demon, the devil, and had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. <laughs> they realized they were being confronted by a, a mighty power that could do such a miracle as this. And they who saw it told them how it happened to him who was possessed by the devil, and also concerning the pigs. Now they should have said, how wonderful, we'll follow you. You're the Messiah, you do this mighty miracle. But what did they say? 17, they began to pray him to leave out of their borders. Many times people do not respond to Jesus in the logical and right way. Now why would they want him to leave? Well, I suspect it's because their income, their pocketbook had been touched here. They got money from pigs and now the pigs were gone, so please leave. We've had enough damage done to our financial situation. And when he was coming to the ship, he who had been possessed by the devil asked him that he might be with him. So the man that had been so thoroughly controlled by Satan and the demons now wanted to be with Jesus. He wanted to serve Jesus. He had the right attitude, didn't he? He knew this was a superior power. Now he had come into the freedom that we sang about. He wanted to be with him. When we become Christians, do we not want to be with Christ? Do we not want to spend time with him? As in the quiet time, in the morning, or afternoon, or evening, or all three, or whatever. We want to be with him like this cured man was. Howbeit, Jesus didn't allow him. But he says to him, you go home to your friends and tell them how great things the Lord has done for you and has had compassion on you. And he left and he began to publicize in Decapolis, 10 cities, how great things Jesus had done for him and all men did marvel. Great example for us. Once we've been changed by the Lord Jesus, we should share Jesus. Now in his situation, this is a mighty change, a powerful change, an observable change. So should it be with us. And we want to be with him and we want to witness for him. Once in a friend of mine, Rafael Gonzalez, 
we did some missionary work. At one point, we were, he had a loudspeaker and a car, and we were in the street, I guess it was in Covina. I only remember doing this once, but we were, he was especially talking loud so people could hear about Jesus. And later we were out of the car and talking to somebody in one of the houses there. And she belonged to one of the cults that's not right about Jesus and their thinking. At any rate, she says, you people, in so many words, you're always talking about yourselves because we were sharing with her how we've been changed by Jesus. This is what we shared with her, this passage where Jesus told him to go home and to witness, tell people what had happened to him. So we were showing to her the Bible tells us we should tell people what happens to us by Jesus, what he's done for us. I don't know if she listened very well, but at any rate, this passage had meaning for us to be able to share at that time. So much then for that. He is greater than the devil and demons, and he will have ultimate victory over them. The second thing we want to think about is victory over disease. Disease has been very prominent, has it not, in the last year with the COVID-19. Disease is a great enemy, is it not? A Goliath, one of the three. I think two of the plagues in Egypt against Pharaoh and the stubborn people that wouldn't let the Jewish people leave. Part of the plague was disease. I think too many years later, in the 1300s, about the middle of the century, the plague of the Black Death. Now, what we've gone through recently with COVID-19 is a terrible thing. But when you consider the amount of people that was affected by the Black Death and have been so far affected by COVID-19, there's almost no comparison. I understand that in Europe, one third, one out of every three people died. Of course, it's nothing like that with COVID-19, bad as it is. But imagine one out of three people dying, and it was a horrible death too. It was called Black Death. But here Jesus, we find, is king even over disease. But what happened here? Back to Mark 5, verse 21. <clears throat> and when Jesus was passed over again by ship to the other side, many people assembled to him, and he was close to the sea. And look, there comes one of the rulers from the synagogue, Jairus by name, and when he saw him, he fell at his feet, and he asked him greatly, saying, My little daughter, someone that was precious to him, lies at the point of death. I ask you, come and lay your hands on her, that she may be healed, and she shall live. So he knew that Jesus could conquer disease here. 
And Jesus went with him. And now here's an interlude. And many people followed him and thronged him. And a certain lady who had an issue of blood for 12 years, she'd been hemorrhaging for 12 whole long years, and had suffered many things by many doctors, and had spent everything she had, and was nothing improved, but rather she got worse. Sometimes this kind of things happen. People do all they can to try to get well from disease, and they don't. And when she heard about Jesus, she came in the press, in the mob behind, and she touched his clothing, his garment. Now she had to really persevere to get to him. He was being thronged by the mob. Somehow, this sick lady was able to worm her way through the crowd, and here's what she thought. Because she said, if I may but touch his clothes, I shall be well. If she could just grasp the presbyton, the bottom part of the robe, if she could just touch him, get his clothes, she had the faith, then I'll be well. Doctors couldn't cure me for 12 years. I spent everything I had trying to get well. But if I can only touch Jesus, make contact with him, then I'll be healed. Verse 29, and right away, the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed from that plague. What a marvelous thing. What a beautiful thought if we only can make contact with Jesus. He can heal us of our diseases. He can heal us and help us in other things and all things as well. And immediately Jesus, knowing in himself that virtue, that power had gone out of him, see, he felt it. He knew something had happened here. He turned around in the crowd and he said, Who touched my clothes? Now that could be a scary thing to admit it because here this miracle worker, maybe he'd be angry at her that she did this. And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd thronging you, and do you say, who touched me? You see, there's the touch of the crowd, but then there's the touch of faith, which this lady had, which was a different thing. And he looked around about to see her who had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, Knowing what was done in her, she came, and she fell down in front of him, and she told him all the truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace, and be well from your plague. Instead of bringing a curse upon her, he brought a blessing upon her. She had come to him, she had touched him in faith. And a miracle had happened. The disease, impossible for man to cure, was now cured by God. All diseases will eventually be cured. Now sometimes people figure because Jesus can cure disease, we shouldn't ever have to have disease as Christians. 
promise is actually in the scripture that ultimately we will be totally healed from disease. Yes, God can heal in this life, and he does. But sometimes he says, wait. You have to wait till we get the new body. The first church on which I was on the staff was First Baptist Church of Fullerton. Blessedly, that's where I met my wonderful wife, Jude. When I was on the staff there, one day one of the good members came. First name was Joe, I won't tell you his last name. But he was telling me that he was not going to get sick anymore. He said he had faith and he was never going to be sick. I didn't agree with him. I tried to help him realize that sometimes Christians do get sick. I may have showed him 2 Timothy 4.20 where it says, Trophimus, I have left sick at Miletum. Here the Apostle Paul had left one of the disciples, a very good Christian, sick. Paul, who'd been able to do so many miracles. Another place, Epaphroditus was sick to death, but God had mercy on him and healed him. Even the Apostle Paul said, I have a thorn in the flesh. So he had a physical ailment. Three times he asked God that it might leave, and it didn't. Possibly it was an eye ailment. Whatever it was, he prayed three times, but as it were, God said, wait. <laughs> so I tried to explain to Joe, you know, that we can't say that we're not going to get sick. So he told me, he said, well, you may not have faith, but I have faith. Guess what happened? I guess it was just a few weeks later, Joe got the flu. I didn't hear any more about never getting sick again. The Bible doesn't guarantee that. He can keep us well. He can heal us. Ultimately, we know we'll be totally, fully, 100% healed, but not necessarily in this world. And what is the third giant that is slain by faith, slain by Jesus? Third giant is death. This young girl, Jairus's daughter, who had been sick, she would die. So let's pick up here with verse 35. While he yet spoke, there came from the ruler of the synagogue's home certain ones who said, your daughter is dead. Why do you bother the teacher any further? And as soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he says to the ruler of the synagogue, don't be afraid, only believe. So right away, he calmed his fear. Right away, he gave him encouragement. I remember once I heard what seemed to me bad news at the time. Immediately, immediately I thought of the scripture, Psalm 112, verse 7. He shall not be afraid of bad news. His heart is fixed, trusting in the Lord. And so we find this man's faith was encouraged and he was told, don't be afraid. Just trust, as it were. Only believe. 
and he allowed no man to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. And he comes to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and he sees the tumult and them who cried and wailed greatly. And when he was come in, he says to them, Why do you make this ado and weep? The girl is not dead, but she sleeps. And they laughed him to scorn. But when he had put all of them out, he takes the father and the mother of the girl, and those who were with him, Peter, James, and John it was, and enters into where the girl was lying. And he took the girl by the hand, and he said to her, Talithi kumai, which is by translation, Girl, I tell you, get up. And right away, the girl got up, and she walked. That helped us see she was truly, totally healed. Because she was 12 years old, they were amazed with a great amazement. And he charged them strictly that no man should know it. And he commanded that something should be given her to eat. Victory over death. You know, in Hebrews 2.15, verse is not on your sheet here, but it's an important verse, I think. It tells us in Hebrews 2.15, that there are those who their whole lifetime are afraid of death. But you see, the antidote to that fear is faith. The antidote to that fear is the resurrection. Ultimately, God's people who believe in Jesus are guaranteed forgiveness and a new body. Death will die. It's the last enemy we find in 1 Corinthians 15 and 26. And we find that death is swallowed up in victory in the same chapter, verse 54. There's another verse, not in the Bible, or not in the list that I've given you here. To me, it is another slant on it. It's 2 Corinthians, the last part of verse 5. Whereas it says in 1 Corinthians 15 that death is swallowed up in victory, here it says in 2 Corinthians 5, 4 that he has given to us the earnest of the Spirit, and actually it's back in verse 4. We will be clothed upon with that which is subject to death that they might be swallowed up by life. In other words, death is going to be swallowed up not just by victory, but by life. That puts it in a very strong and beautiful way, doesn't it? This giant enemy of death will be totally conquered. It's going to be swallowed up by victory and by life in a very positive, beautiful sense. So as we put this all together, what do we have? We have victory over three enormous enemies. Victory over the devil and the demons. Victory over disease. Victory over death itself, so feared by many people.
today and through the ages. Victory is swallowed up by life. In fact, it's because of the resurrection of Jesus that Jesus' death on the cross is validated for our sins. He died for us. He took the penalty. And so when we trust in Him, when we repent and come to Him, our sins are washed away. Not only that, we have the promise, victory over Satan and the demons, victory ultimately over all disease, and victory ultimately over death itself, where we get a new and glorified body like Jesus. And so as we come to the final fourth item here on your sheet, complete, final, overall victory is seen. A couple of verses to help us see that. And there are, of course, many, many more. Revelation 21, verse 4. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death. There it is. Neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain. Often with disease comes pain. But that's going to be all done away. For the former things are passed away. The next chapter, Revelation 22, verse 3. And there shall be no more curse. See, the curse was imposed after Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. And that would include disease. That would include death. That would include a broken relationship and fellowship with God. But it says there'll be no more curse. You see, through Jesus, the curse is conquered. It's eliminated. No more. No more of these things. No more devil. No more demons. No more disease. No more death. Wouldn't you say this is a momentous truth. You can hardly think of what could be more greater than what we're talking about today. They can exceed this victory of Jesus, of God, over the curse. And so instead of being ejected from the garden, we find in the last two chapters of Revelation, we re-enter the new garden. Paradise is restored. Paradise which had been lost is now given back again. And every Christian, someday, will have ultimate, total, complete victory over all these things and be able to serve God unhinderedly in a beautiful and wonderful way forever and ever. Shall we bow in prayer? Lord, we thank you that you have done what we could not do. We thank you for your victory over all these things that we've been talking about today. We thank you that we may experience that victory in our lives. Help us, Lord, to trust you fully, to follow you fully, to fully accept that hope that you have set before us will be completely healed. 
will be restored into the new paradise, the new heaven and the new earth. Thank you for your great power and your great love. May we at this moment commit ourselves to you in our hearts. Thank you and praise you in Jesus' wonderful and powerful name. Amen.